Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson here on a Friday afternoon. It is a late week podcast for us. We've been busy uh, with a bunch of stuff. Nebraska getting underway with football practice. But first, we discuss the news of the college football landscape, which we really haven't had a chance to kind of sit and talk about. We haven't, so I I don't know what you think. What's going to happen to Urban? Yeah, exactly. Urban Meyer is on paid leave at Ohio State at the moment, uh, stemming from an investigation being launched into what he knew regarding an assistant coach's domestic violence dispute in 2015. Uh, that assistant coach was one Zach Smith, who was not very popular amongst Nebraska fans or Ohio State media, from what I've been told, but that's neither here nor there. Uh as you watch the situation unfold on Wednesday, I'll just tell you my where I was at with it. I didn't think that it would end in his removal as the coach, even for a paid leave sort of situation. And as of this moment, he hasn't been. Well, and I, I mean, like right now, yeah. he's it, the, oh, the paid leave okay. thing. I, I didn't even think that would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if it's because I'm so cynical uh, or what, but this thing has really taken off. Um, and it seems, it hasn't happened yet, but it seems like it's heading in the direction where Urban Meyer may have coached his last game for Ohio State. This is, this is kind of a dangerous topic, but to just be candid, I think five years ago, he, nothing would have happened to him. I think the climate has changed on this particular issue, and, you know, the Me Too movement and all sorts of things where... Ohio State's brass may very well want to keep him there and be looking for any possible way they can, but they know that doing so, think about the protests and stuff that would happen on that. That's a huge campus. It's like an empire if you ever visit Columbus, Ohio. I mean, whenever we pull up there to watch Nebraska play them, I'm like, geez, it feels like it, I mean... It's something else. It's hard. You're going to the Colosseum in Rome. Yeah, in ancient Rome. It's like Rome. Yeah, it's like the college football version of Rome. I With really... the <laughs> the longest rat maze to parking that you will ever find in your mm-hmm. entire life. You have to go down like four blocks of streets just to get to a side street that you can't turn right on immediately. I think it would be an awesome town to go to college in. Yeah. I do. But I remember the first time Nebraska played a game there with Bo Pelini. We pulled up, and Nebraska had a legitimate shot to win that year. It was actually ahead, and then the wheels fell off with Braxton Miller. But I remember turning to my coworkers at the time and saying, they ain't winning at this place. Like, you looked up at that place, and you just felt like how intense it was going to be as you got out of your car. You're like, not happening tonight. Yeah, it the, the Horseshoe, I think, is one of those places that if you're a college football fan, it has to be on your list of, of games you want to you want to see a game. You do. And if you're a Nebraska fan, the last couple opportunities weren't ones that you wanted <laughs> to like see. You'd like to see one where Nebraska makes right. a punt. But that, you know, walking out of, for us, where we get to enter onto the, the end zone side and then you come out and you get the full spectacle of the, the far end of the horseshoe yeah. looking back at you, it was unbelievable. And this is in the fourth quarter of a game in which fans had already left because it was decided was by the time that I had gotten down there in 2016. And I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And I've been fortunate that I've been to a, a bunch of different stadiums and you don't always anticipate, like, I, I don't know about you. I mean, you've been to far more stadiums than I have. You don't really expect you're going to see something that just hits you, and then sometimes you actually do, and that one was for me. The horseshoe blows me out of the water way more than the big house, and I really think the big house is cool. It's a big part, you know, it's a significant part of college football, but the big house is, like, so spread out it's actually low to the ground kind of and so you actually don't see it till you're right up next to it so it doesn't have that imposing way about it the horseshoe does and i think the horseshoe's way louder because it's kind of more on top of you like memorial stadium whereas because the big house is so spread out i think it and i know they've been criticized for being kind of a wine and cheese crowd at michigan i don't know if that's the case but that's been out there and it's just not as loud as ohio state well 
I don't know if you want to say that there when they're going to be packing those marshmallows with batteries and throwing them at your head as you're walking along the... Uh... I didn't say that. I've heard it said. It's okay, like one right. of those things where you said I you know, I read in a magazine type of thing. It's kind of an out. Michigan fans in the state of Nebraska are pretty sensitive to the, the portrayal of their program. I don't know are if you, you followed along, but uh, they, they get after some of the, the radio shows up in Omaha. I see. It. Well, anyway, I think... I think Urban Meyer's probably done there. I, That's wild. I mean, and two days ago, who would have thought we'd be saying that? And yeah. I, I mean, Ohio State's one of those schools where they're always going to be good. But... Should always be good. But they went for many years, you know, where they were, they were maybe a top 10, top 15 team, but they weren't like they are now, you know, and they're with John Cooper was the coach and some of the guys... They, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban were in that one select category. It's it's kind of that Calipari category where they can just walk in anywhere, hmm. and it's like I'm Urban Meyer. You'd probably like to come play football for me, right? And it's it's hard for a kid to pass that down and to lose to lose one of the two guys in college football who could do that. That's it's incredible. You know the what I thought of when when Meyer was placed on administrative leave is I immediately thought of, of 2011, Nebraska's entering the Big Ten. Ohio State has Luke Fickle as their interim coach. They're coming off of a strong year. Trestle is uh, fired because of his role in, in the tattoo thing, which seems incredibly uh, mundane compared to where Urban Meyer is at now. Seven years later, and I think to myself, Nebraska is entering the Big Ten, coming off of a year in which... It underachieved at the end of the season. By all accounts, should have been playing in a January bowl game, but blew it against Texas A&M and, and Oklahoma, or however you want to phrase that, and then didn't show up against Arizona. But there was a lot of, uh, or excuse me, Washington. There was a lot of excitement about that 2011 season and about Nebraska and the Big Ten and positioned itself, you know, with maybe there's a changing of the guard with Ohio State and the change that they have coming. You can go seven years. You know, from 2011 to now, Nebraska's on its third coach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this will even cause a blip in the radar of what Ohio State's capable of doing. They, they may drop off to a degree, but the road in the, the Big Ten still pretty much has to go through Columbus one way or the other. If you're a team in the East, you've still got to beat them to win the East. If you're trying to win the whole conference, you either have to catch it in a year where they're not there uh, or you have to go through them to do it. And as good of a coach as Urban Meyer is, it feels like they'd be in a position that they'll replace him with a coach that can handle similar levels of success, but maybe not national championship levels yeah, of success. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's going to come down to the category. Can you get I, – I mean, I don't think Bob Stoops is going to leave retirement. I mean, are, are you getting that type of guy if this job comes open? If – or, Who would be on your short list? You're Ohio State, you're making that no, I decision. I think they'd probably make a run at Stoops, don't you think, right off the bat? Yeah. And I think he'd turn him down. Well, I don't guess. think he'd take the job. And I, I don't even know if he'd be one of the first couple people I'd want to call. Who, who would you say? I think if, if you were doing this for the 20, assuming that Ryan Day coaches for the 2018 season, which I don't think you're going to hire a coach and put somebody in in August, the first phone call I would make would be to Gary Patterson. Yeah, I was going to say him. I think, like, if you've got ever an opportunity to pull that guy away from a program at TCU that he doesn't need to leave for anything, he really doesn't have to leave. He has an opportunity to win there. He has an opportunity to win relatively big there. If he ever wanted to see what it was like on top of the world, this would be the chance. And I think Ohio State has every single pitch that they could make. And he either says yes or he doesn't. But there's nobody else that I think is even close in that category that that would leave their job that is at the level of Gary Patterson. And then after that, you're basically looking at, you know, Tom Herman, but is he implicated by this stuff in 2015? Um, and, and everything that happened before? And also hasn't done, hasn't done it yet right. at Texas. And then Ryan Day has this enormous contract with Ohio State, but, you know, if they go 8-4, and four, and that's not out of the realm of possibility. This Ohio State team is highly regarded because of Urban Meyer, to a degree, because of the talent that his has assembled. But they don't have a 
definite answer at quarterback yet, and that's kind of a big deal, especially with the way that Urban Meyer teams have had success in the past. So I could see where in a rough year in the the East, you know, they could drop to Michigan. They could drop to Michigan State. I mean, I don't think they're losing to Nebraska, but I could see them at 9-3. and three. It wouldn't shock me. What about Mark Antonio? To, as a coach? <laughs> that would be... Uh, He's had his own problems. Well, and that's just it. I mean... It's got to be somebody who's kind of got a right. squeaky clean. That's why I don't think they can take a wild card, and I think Ohio State's too buttoned up for somebody like Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Even if Florida, oh, I don't think that, yeah. Even if Florida Atlantic just blows it out of the water this year. Um, Jeff Brom, if he has a good year at Purdue, is going to be one of the hotter names. Yeah. I think you're right that Patterson's would be top of the list. Now, where it gets really tough if you're Ohio State is if, what if Ryan Day? With, I mean, they got talent all Clay the Hilton. Yeah. What if they go eleven and one or something, win the East, and they got to make that? Dis- and all the players are like, "You got to hire Ryan." Day. You know how that goes. There's all yeah. this internal pressure, and maybe he ends up being great. But you've seen that happen where, you know, people think, "Oh, we got to hire this guy," and then he's not yeah. up for it. And then the question becomes: Do you keep him around because you could keep most of that staff assembled, or do they all depart because they were essentially mercenaries trying to coach under the Urban Meyer brand? They didn't come there to go be Ryan Day's offensive coordinator or the fourth defensive coordinator on the staff, or you have Larry Johnson Sr., who's one of the most renowned defensive line coaches and recruiters in the entire country. He didn't go to go work with Ryan Day. So, like, all of the trickle effects and what it means for recruiting and the Big Ten is so enormous. And that's all, like, happens, you know, in the future, but you can't help but think about a lot of it. The only reason I said D'Antonio, and I don't think that's going to happen, but I feel like it would have been really interesting if Nebraska made a run at him a few years ago. Because I think I've always picked When they hired Riley? Mm Mm-hmm. I always picked up on this idea that at Michigan State, he had done so well building that thing up, and yet you're always just second fiddle to basketball. I mean, we've gone there for big games where Michigan State's ranked in the top ten, and it just doesn't feel like a football place, yeah. and he knows that. That's interesting. I I don't think he has – I don't think he has another move left in him, though. I don't either. I think he's basically – he'll coach until he's done at Michigan State, and whenever that will be. Uh, the other name that would be kind of interesting is Mike Vrabel. Mm. Uh, if he goes and has a nice year at Tennessee and then Ohio State comes calling, would he turn that down? And he's somebody I think could keep some of that staff together because he has sort of been there and a connection to it a little bit. But aside from Patterson, what we're talking about are maybes. Like yeah. guys who might be, or, you know, they're not going to be urban, but just might get you to that top level. You don't. He, Patterson's the best pick, I think, of the names we've talked about. Okay, well, we agree. So, there. Gary Patterson, Gary. next coach at Ohio State. Next week, we'll probably find out that he's like Urban Meyer suspended like three games or something. <laughs> That's probably that'll probably already come out like before we're done with this. It is possible, <laughs> I suppose. Well, we should probably talk about Nebraska football as it's yeah. now thirteen minutes into the podcast. So, thirteen. All right, Nebraska. They started football today on a Friday. The season has officially begun. We weren't there. Well, yeah, but we weren't allowed to be there, so it wasn't like we were just shirking our responsibilities and playing hooky on a Friday. We did have some good press conference fodder, though, right? Yeah, I thought so. What uh, what stood out to you yesterday? Whether it was Frost, whether it was Tanner. Tanner Farmer. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> you you seem very smitten with Tanner Farmer's speech. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it was. I I thought the funniest thing he said was when he said how he only front squatted 500 pounds at one point, <laughs> and I was sitting there like, okay, <laughs> that's kind of a humble brag. Yeah, too. yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's start with Frost. I mean, I guess the the nuts and bolts stuff was probably as interesting as anything. Just the fact that Maurice Washington is already here, and two months ago. I don't know. You might have bet differently than I would have. I would have said, no, that's not happening. Maybe, I mean, maybe they would have had something set up with him where he's going to be in this program eventually, but I wouldn't guess the first day of fall camp he'd be here. So that was big. Uh, they think they're going to get Dominic Watt. 
that would be huge. I think he's a pretty good recruit. And then the Trey Neal thing, just starting off, you know, being able to start camp with the guys and kind of be that facilitator of the language from the coaches to the players, I think is going to be huge for that secondary. So that was big. And then I like that Frost, he kind of took all this offseason hype that's been there and he applied it to the idea like, yeah, the guys do look way different. Their bodies are completely changed. But basically he was going to challenge his team and say it's time to prove it. I mean, like all this stuff from January to July is nice and it's the stuff you need to do, but it doesn't matter now if you slack off and and you let go of the rope. And so I I thought that was, you know, we basically heard what he was going to tell his team before fall camp began. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you... Did you get the sense, or do you get the sense, that if you were in a game of Monopoly against Scott Frost, that it would be tough? Yeah. I think he'd be very good at Monopoly. It, I think he's very is, intelligent. How much of it in Monopoly is, is luck of the roll, though? I mean, there's a I, general strategy if you're just buying up property. like you gotta, I think he would be good because I think he's a very strategic person who would, he would have analyzed like where to buy his property prior to. You know, like me, who plays Monopoly once every six or seven years, you kind of have to re-familiarize yourself. I think he might have studied the, the board a little bit the night before just for this game we're going to play. So you feel like he comes in with more of a strategy or plan than you would to the same board game? I think I think he probably would, yeah. Okay. Well, do you have a strategy or plan for picking out your piece? For what? For picking out your piece. I mean, he was very specific oh. on which pieces that he, you know. Didn't they take away the thimble? Ah, uh, they might have. Maybe it got replaced. That's what I used to play with I as well. I love the thimble. Um, the, the thimble could, and then the... Because you could put it on your little finger, yep. you know, and that... The, the thimble, the top hat, the dog, the race car, the ironing board? Yeah. Or not board, the the iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and he said race car first, I believe, so yeah. he was obviously hinting at Adrian Martinez being a starter. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain that one. <laughs> Oh, the fastest guy. Oh, all right, well, fair enough. What did you learn? You know, the the most interesting takeaway for me, it was more of a reminder than it was a takeaway. There's two things, and I'll get to the, the offensive line second. But talking with Jack Stoll and talking to him about tight ends, and he was going on about how in the spring, you know, he's sitting there watching film, and he couldn't help but get excited about how the tight ends looked in that offense. And you think about, we spend so much time talking about Maurice Washington and the new wide receivers, whether they're Jerron Woodyard or Mike Williams or Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman or whether Trey Bryant's going to be coming back or what kind of year Greg Bell can have. And we never really get into the tight end position, and yet they're going to have a really central role to this whole thing. And he, he was politely trying to push that point across when talking about you know, when I watch that offense, I really think that there's a lot that I get to do and that excites me, and there's a lot that they're going to be counting on. And I just feel like we always talk skill position players and we never really talk about the tight ends. And they had a fascinating offseason in their own right because all of a sudden, as I asked Jack Stoll yesterday, I mean, you look around the tight end room and it looks nothing like it did mm-hmm. in 2017. And he, he remarked on that as well, and he said that that has caused him to to learn to be a leader, to learn to be vocal, to, to basically have guys like Katarian Legron and Cam Jurgens on his hip during the summer, um, you know, so they know what they're supposed to be doing. So he establishes the expectation of what not just Coach Becton or Frost or whoever, but the expectation in that room of, like, this is what you should be working on. This is what you should be doing. And I thought that was just really interesting because he's only going into his third year yeah. in the program. I mean, the tight ends were sort of in that sitting in the waiting room for Nebraska football the last couple of years. It was like they had the Seathan Carter era. It ended. And then you knew that Tyler Hoppus was kind of going to be like that guy who's kind of the bridge for one year. But you're waiting to see, like, you know, is it going to be Matt Snyder? I think like a year and a half ago you would have guessed yeah. a lot of people to guess like Matt Snyder or maybe Inglehop and all this stuff and Jack Stoll who I mean honestly among those guys was probably talked about 
The least. The least, even though he had some good offers. He had less than 100 career receiving yards yeah. when he committed to Nebraska. Yep. And he ends up being the top guy, you know, at least for now. And, and then, it, so it's kind of sorted itself out. You're still kind of waiting to see, okay, who's next. But there's just a new iteration yeah. of it. It's now, now, I mean, now it's Austin Allen and Kurt Raftall. You're kind of anxious to see who's, like, the second guy there. And then what's Cam Jurgens' role this year? And is he fully healthy, you know, after that serious injury he had? I asked Scott Frost that question in Chicago, but he didn't answer because he's not going to answer any of those injuries. You tried. But that that's going to be something to watch, obviously. But you're right. It's a group that uh, it's like now it has a – you can see it. You can identify who the guys are, and it, it makes sense now. The picture's at least becoming clearer. Yeah, and then the the other takeaway for me yesterday, um, talking to both Cole Conrad and Tanner Farmer, they both want the center job, I feel like. And, and not in a way that, you know, they're going to be unhappy if they don't get it, but there's something about sort of being the guy in the middle of that line. And Farmer, who's been a starter for two years and will be a starter regardless... Uh, it's just it's interesting, and I, you know, Conrad was a little reflective about what went wrong for him and why he maybe underestimated the transition. I mean, he was a starting right tackle, and we always think, you know, when we're discussing the game of football and offensive line, that tackle is so important and it's, you know, it's such a key position and and everything else that you think that it gets easier when it moves inside. And and Conrad's like, no, no, it doesn't at all, because now all of a sudden. You're in charge of you know setting up these double teams, or you got to snap the ball and then get to this guy, or all of a sudden across from you is somebody that's 330 pounds and basically is the equivalent of five nine with the leverage that he creates, and you have to get underneath that to move it out of the way so your running back can go. And then through. you have to do it again ten seconds yeah. later, maybe. And so he he said he underestimated it to a degree, and he really felt it at the you know he said he could sense it during fall practice, but. It wasn't until the Arkansas State game where it really clicked to him, like, this is a whole new ball game. And he just never, I think, felt comfortable. He didn't say it in those words, but he sort of danced around that idea. He didn't feel comfortable in there. And so he went back and he watched the film, and he he has a better mental picture as to what's going to happen. Whether he can physically translate everything, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he had, you know, he's another guy that had a good offseason in the weight room. And he's a senior, and he wants this. Like, you can tell that he wants this. And he wants it in twofold. He wants to be out there playing, but he also wants to, if he's not the starter, then he's providing depth and he's going to be ready to go. And uh, I just, they got a veteran offensive line. They sound like a veteran offensive line with those two guys and Gerald Foster in Chicago. Uh, And then, you know, you got two tackles that are young. But the interior of that line, what you're going to be depending on they're they're vets. They're ready to go. They're ready to play. Maybe this is psycho babble, but I think Conrad and Farmer. A good name for the podcast, by the way. Psycho babble. That would be or a band. <laughs> yeah, I'd listen to that band. Psycho babble. Um, I think uh, Conrad and Farmer. I like guys who can be reflective in a way where you can tell. Some guys will not self-critique themselves in a difficult way. They'll they'll kind of get defensive about it, and I th- I have to think it's tougher for those guys to get better. And I think when you talk to Farmer and Conrad, especially this year, it's what you're getting at with Conrad and what you were saying. He's somebody who can look in the mirror, and he knows probably that there were criticisms of him last year. And I think it's probably the type of guy who's actually like accepting of it instead of like getting defensive. It's more just like, okay, yeah, I, I see some of those weaknesses myself. And if you're that type of person, it usually helps you in everything, but I think it really helps football players too when they can be like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and again, it, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, that, that's always sort of the complications of days like the Big Ten Media Days or, or yesterday – None of what they said means anything. Like, it doesn't... They're not going to go put up more points on the board because of their conversations with us or in the press conference room or whatever. But it does give you a sort of window into what has transpired since December. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you and I talked about this a little bit in Chicago. I know I've written it or I've said it on other radio shows. 
a big thing to me is that a lot of these guys now sound like the coaches that they're playing for. And I think that's really important because if you're trying to transition to getting everybody on the same page and your veteran leaders are starting to sound like it, and then that's going to get to the next row of leaders and then to the young guys, and then when they become older guys, they're going to say, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the model. That's kind of what it has to be. And I'm not saying that it didn't happen that way in the Riley era because they, there were guys that talked a little bit like Mike Riley or sounded a little bit you know, like the coaches that they played for. But I do think that's a good thing, and it's a good sign that they seem, and it's a lot easier to just be committed. You know, you're coming off of a 4-8 and eight year. Like, these guys want to go out with something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to be, but they, they you can tell they want to go out with something. I don't, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be the guy that stands in front of Tanner Farmer and says that's not going to happen. But I, I believe in that fire that they have and the determination but again they have to go out and do it i think you were in the circle i asked farmer it was kind of it wasn't trying to be a tricky question but i it was kind of a question putting it on a tee for like your senior year is this kind of you know setting the stage for other guys kind of you know building up the foundation of how it's supposed to be and he of me i think he saw right through that yeah it's like okay, I get what you're saying. You're saying that we're gonna go six and six, but I'm, you know, they might win championships in two years when I'm not here, and that's when he got all fired up. And then he just kind of ran with that when he went up to the podium. You uh, wound him up is really what you did. Well, yeah, he he was wound up by the end. It got a little pro wrestler there at the end, which is <laughs> which is okay. Well, when he pointed at you and threatened you with a steel chair, I thought it was a bit much. But your guys is uh, what an inferno match, a casket match scheduled for next week, or <laughs> so. Uh, any other notable things from yesterday before we sort of transition into recruiting and the series that you've been working on? Mm. Well, you know, I guess I'd say this. I. I think the guys yesterday were getting some things off their chest, and I understand it a little bit. Like, a few guys wanted to probably clear the air about some things, and it was for some of them it was the first time you really get a chance to do that. And I get that, and I think anybody should in a way, because it's like if, if something attached to your name really stunk, you kind of want to try to explain why and what was missing. And... So I think that's what was going on there, and I think it's okay to a point for a few guys in these first interviews to get that out, I guess, in fall camp. Then I think there's got to be that point very soon where we sort of bury the, like, look how different it is compared yeah. to the Riley. You know, that, 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 that transition has to happen, and I don't think that's going to hold the team back. I'm talking to us and the media as much as anybody and me that it's, it's time to kind of just move that ball forward a little bit. Um, but I thought like yesterday was probably therapeutic for a couple of them to just get up there and say, yeah, this is what I saw that was wrong. And there, yeah, no, that's why we were so bad. (laughs) I I totally get where you're, where you're coming from with it. I kind of cringe a little bit that, uh, I don't think it really has a whole lot of value because it's sort of like what Frost said about, you know, he knows that these guys look better. He knows that they physically have gone out and performed well in the off season, but that doesn't account. For yeah. Anything. I mean, the thing with the strength coaches that we always get into is every time we talk up whoever the coach is, right. I mean, we all said Mark Phillip was going to be so much better than James Dobson. And I don't know enough about it to know, if it's good or bad, I will say this. It can come down to a very simplistic thing. They're moving more weight. And last year you were watching a team that just couldn't move weight. Like in the games, you could tell these guys were weak a little bit compared to who they're playing. <clears throat> and I think Frost and the staff, Zach Duvall looked at them and they said, in this league, you got to be able to, you know, you got to be able to squat this much. You got to be able to bench this much because you, otherwise you're not going to be able to move a Michigan defensive tackle. And it's kind of simplistic, but I think that's what this whole thing's been about. Just like, let's get stronger and see where that puts you in comparison with these other guys. And nobody knows yet for sure, but at least you you give yourself a fighting chance now. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we have going on 
on the site right now is we have, and I don't know when this podcast is going to run, and so if you don't listen to it until Saturday, you're out of luck. Hopefully you would have saw the 7,000 tweets about it. We have a deal going. You can get five months of VIP for the price of one. That's nine ninety five for five months. You're not going to get a better deal in the Frost era. You're not going to get as many months at any point in time, I would imagine, in this uh, this era as well. So if that's something you want to take advantage of and you happen to catch this podcast before the end of that offer tonight at about 11 o'clock, then jump on it. Then you don't have to be that person on Twitter who's like, I can't read this story. Yeah. It's VIP. When It's just the price of basically two lattes, you know? Well, I wouldn't know because I don't drink lattes. It is. But, I, you know. but that is the price of roughly seven Snapples. Yeah. So I, I think that that, you know, is... So if is, someone goes every day and that's their routine to get a Snapple, just, like, cut it out for one week. Yeah. And you've got five months of coverage, and it has everything. And you can get back to the Snapple. It's not like you have to get rid of it forever. Yeah, you could just add it into your budget and probably survive. I mean, is $10 at the end of your life going to make or break you? Probably no. No, probably not. But one of the things that I think is great going on with what we have right now, you've been working on this. This is something you wanted to work on for a while, and you've kind of been putting together in, in the background in terms of talking with these coaches Walk me through a little bit what it is like to try to piece together as frenetic of a week as it was after they beat USF. By a touchdown. Nebraska has fired Mike Riley that Saturday. Everybody sort of has a feeling as to where this might head, but they're playing for a national championship. Or, excuse me, they're playing for a conference championship against Memphis. And these coaches, I mean, you obviously weren't there that week, but you've talked with these coaches. I mean, trying to put together the timeline of all of this and then also be able to portray the picture of what that week was like. I mean, was it difficult to to do that a little bit, or, or how did that all go? Well, the staff makes it easy because when you interview the guys we interviewed, and we interviewed, I don't know, probably eight to ten people that are involved with Nebraska football now that were on that UCF staff. And it was a difficult situation, but what made it easier for him was really the unbelievable part of the story that the head coach would include everybody in this decision process. And, like, I know that you can be snarky and say when you ask the question, why would an entire staff follow Frost from Orlando to Lincoln? And a quick answer is, well, they got raises that, like, doubled their salary. I get that part of it. But, one, Frost did not have to bring everybody and I I don't know I I just don't think um, I don't think some of those guys like Sean Becton and Travis Fisher might have made that move if they didn't just have an incredible amount of trust in Frost that was gained in just under 24 months yeah I and I don't know if this quote made it into your stories I can't remember for sure but when reading through the transcripts that you had sent over Javon DeWitt talked about how coaching at a mega program was never necessarily a goal of his. It was more about coaching at a place where he wanted to be. And I think that's really kind of telling because, you know, when people say, well, yeah, they all got raises or they all got this. I mean, this is a guy whose family stayed in Florida when he went to work at West Point. This was a guy whose family, I think, probably prefers the Florida area, even if he had other great opportunities. I mean, it's hard to just uproot people from what they know and take them to somewhere they've never been. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting quote, because I don't know if every coach looks at it like this, but just for a guy to basically say, you know what, Scott Frost might be a rocket, and Nebraska might be a blue blood program, but what makes this whole thing work for me is the way that he manages people and the people that I get to work with. Yeah, and I set him up to go with the rocket thing. I mean, I asked the question. <laughs> I, I mean, I that's how the question was phrased. It was like a couple of the guys said, which they did, that they thought Scott Frost was, you know, soaring in the profession. Why the heck would you not, like, attach yourself to that? And that's what was interesting is he didn't take the premise of that question. He actually said, no, is that – 
in a way it's just simple it's about happiness it's about life happiness and like going to work each day and enjoying what you do and that's what they all sound like and i i know i know this is a fluff time of year and we're all pumping up scott frost and all that but i actually do think that staff like is kind of a they're just a family really they you know they have this sort of connection where they all feel like their voice can be heard more of that's going to come out through the series uh that goes through this weekend but it's it's like if you if with your family like if something serious is going on with somebody and you can all sit around the table and nobody and everybody feels like they can say exactly what they want to say about something that's what they talk about you know being able to do that and frost opening up that opportunity to them which some head coaches do in this country and I'm sure a lot of them don't you know and some of these guys have coached a lot of places and they say it's not trust them it's not always like that yeah um if you could preview a little bit what is coming the next the last parts uh there's two more parts to it it's a five-part thing and the next one is is going to be kind of about about that family and it's going to include Travis Fisher who hasn't been in it yet um some quotes that he has said just about like how much did he have to think about leaving the place he played college football at you know uh to come to Nebraska and um why it maybe wasn't as difficult a decision as you would think and then the last part, I mean, it, it's kind of spinning it forward. It's this new pursuit. I, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, in a way, unless UCF joins a Power 5 conference at some point or the structure changes where we're including eight teams in a playoff, I think Frost and this staff probably realized they did as good as they could do there, you know, because of the way – and then it's not UCF's fault. It's just the way the system is right. set up. And I think even Frost – during his time there were some quotes when he was at UCF that kind of hinted at that where you thought okay that's what's going to pull him to Nebraska along with his heart is with Nebraska it's also a guy like that wants to chase the ultimate prize and you got to be at a place that gives you the chance to do it and so the last part's kind of about that new pursuit now you're at a place where if you can take what you did so well at UCF and it can actually function here in the Big Ten that now you're, you're you're going after something bigger yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I somewhat say it jokingly, but Nebraska has a higher ranking ever in the college football poll during 2016 than Frost ever accumulated with UCF. Yeah, see, that's amazing. And when they started seven and zero with no wins over top 25 teams. There's always there's these little pieces along the way that this won't series won't get into, but it's kind of fascinating to think about. The Big 12 had an opportunity, and I still think they messed up. By not taking UCF? I Anybody who kind of studied UCF, even though they were at a bad place at that time, know that it's, one, I think their enrollment is, like, greater than any school in the country almost. It might be the top school as far as enrollment. It's Their graduates are all over the place in Florida if you ever are down there. But they could have added UCF and had a very dynamic team and let's say they did that completely changes the equation i don't know that frost and the staff ever leave there you know because they're in a conference where they they can win it and um if the playoff structure were eight teams right now instead of four and last year ucf had got a shot you know as an eight seed or something maybe those guys think you know what we can keep doing this and every couple of years we'll get a shot just like this I actually think, so again, of of reading those transcripts, and and you mentioned it a little bit in one of the the stories in the series, I think the greatest what-if to me is what if Purdue had hired Scott Frost? Mm. What if he was already in the Big Ten and sort of was experiencing this Jeff Brom, uh, you know, I I say this somewhat jokingly, but love fest that I'm a part of. (laughs) I think Jeff Brom's a hell of a coach. And I actually think Purdue. I think Frost is, thinks he is too. He brought him up at Did meetings, he? yeah. Yeah, and and so and I think of Purdue as a place that can win at a higher level than what they have done, and could be a total thorn in the side of everybody in the West. I think that is a program that is positioned because of where it sits geographically to talent 
that could be very good as long as it has the right people running it. And every time I go back or I see the mention of Scott Frost in Purdue, it gives me pause because if that guy had some success there, I always struggle with the idea, and I know it happens a little bit in the SEC, of coaches moving from job to job in conference. But can you imagine he's leading Purdue into Lincoln? Mm-hmm. His like triumphant return to Nebraska is actually as an opposing coach for the Boilermakers. Imagine being the, whoever the Nebraska coach is, uh, if, <laughs> and if you are explaining uh, like a forty-five to twenty loss to Purdue, you know, with Scott Frost yeah. at the helm, yeah. yeah. It just it, to me, it's the craziest what if of the whole. It's not whether he would have been hired in in twenty. Um, 14, which I actually... Yeah, I don't remember the timing of it. I, I think it... I'm not saying this to brag. I, it, it happened through an interview with Troy Walters one time when he first got hired. And Troy Walters, he was very specific about Purdue. He mentioned Purdue. And the timing... I can't remember the exact year it would have been. It would have been... It was pretty... I it would have been it, when Blau got the job. Wouldn't it have? No, it wouldn't have been. Hazel. So Hazel would have stayed an extra year... I, I don't know if it was that Hazel was on the hot seat and they were talking about it, or if it was pretty early and Frost run at Oregon and maybe Purdue was filling it out thinking like, you know, because if you're Purdue, you're thinking yeah. like, we need an up-and-comer. Uh, you know, maybe you can't get like a head coach. you got to get somebody like that, like, like Frost yeah. who just started as the OC at Oregon and if people get excited about it. So I actually think it might have been – in that 2014 time period because another person involved in this story mentions that he was sort of ready to go in the event that a move was going to happen well in place before it actually did. Yeah. Well, there basically, and this comes out in the series, and won't surprise people probably, but there are three, four, five guys, it felt like, that kind of thought, they weren't taking anything for granted, but, like, Ryan Held, I think, is probably one of them. We thought, you know, he'd end up on Frost staff wherever. And so they're just kind of waiting for him to decide what is the right situation. And all of them will agree now. I mean, he obviously made the right call. He's, you're playing a tricky game of poker there. And he had opportunities. And he, to his credit, he kind of knew when to say no to stuff. For instance, he talked about this a little in media days. He could have potentially been, like, a co OC with Tim Beck or something back in when 2011 and it would have been a we would all got all rah-rah about it then and thought that was exciting but that would have been a basically a demotion from him aside from going to his alma mater you also position yourself in a weird spot where you're like kind of in wait waiting behind Bo Pelini and everybody's probably clamoring for you and think about it if you're Bo Pelini that's yeah. not exactly what well, you want well it's a want. no win for him but yeah. you're also hitching your wagon to Bo Pelini as opposed to Chip Kelly yes and I mean so sometimes you gotta use brain over heart a little bit and I definitely think he did um, I'll be curious if he ever really opens up too much about the other opportunities he probably passed up he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would though I think in doing it, I got the feeling if this staff ever wins big and enough time passes, some of those guys might be willing to share more of the details even beyond what they, they, they were pretty gracious with what they said. But I, I think a guy like Jared Lambrecht, who's a great guy to talk to, um, you know he's got a lot of stories to tell, but he, as he said, there's a time and place for that stuff sometimes. And sometimes you got to respect that too. So I mean, some of that is the inner sanctuary. It's guy, certain guys experience something, um, and there's there's these little conversations that you can t- speak of generally, but that's for the people involved. Absolutely. Well, we are at the 44 minute mark. Recruiting Nebraska didn't get a commitment this week. They did host several visitors. I'll run through this really quick. Quentin Newsom. Uh, defensive back from North Gwinnett in suburban Atlanta. He visited. He's got Nebraska, Auburn, Georgia as his finalist. Nebraska with a really good chance of adding that commitment, I think, during the month of August before the season starts. And then Jamison Williams was in. He's a wide receiver from St. Louis. Really, really important. 
Ohio State's his big team, and so oh, this yeah. is a this is a wide open opportunity for Nebraska. I know he had a really good visit. I know that he is at the top of the wide receiver board for Nebraska, and I think that by the time he visits for the Purdue game, if the offense plays out the way that I think it does, Nebraska is going to be a very appealing team for him. With everything going on at Ohio State in one regard, but also just the way that Jamison Williams wants to play, he wants to be J.D. Spielman. And Mm -hmm. you have the opportunity in offense that I think is really going to highlight that. So Jamison Williams, certainly someone to keep an eye on. He's in the top 247 in the country. Uh, Coming out of St. Louis, obviously a big area. You get him around Trey Bryant, that can help out a little bit too. And then the other big visit, maybe the biggest of all of them, because of what came out of it in terms of the conversation, Chris Hickman visited Nebraska unofficially for the first time since April. And he was there with several family members. The visit went really well, I'm told, from several different people involved with the visit and heard about the visit. Nebraska is positioned a lot better for Chris Hickman now than they were a while ago. Chris Hickman is also looking at Oregon and LSU, who are filling up fast. And so if he's going to take visits out there, they could be early September visits. I think that his timeline is maybe going to be accelerated somewhat, whereas he was looking at a December, maybe even a January decision. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. And all of that actually helps Nebraska in this regard, which is the opposite of Nick Henrich, whereas like you wanted to push it all further back and give Nebraska more time, now it feels like it could move a lot quicker, uh, and I may have to go join the people on the Chris Hickman crystal ball train. Oh, so teaser! How's that for a nugget? That is a nugget. But that was basically the week in recruiting. He can play offense or defense. Yeah, I Let's, think he's a tight end for yeah. Nebraska. I mean, I they'll tell him that he can play defense, and I think they would let him play defense. But I think ideally, okay. he's a tight end. And he's someone you get in the the Duvall program, and you build him up a little bit from his 200-pound frame to about 240. You retain that athleticism, and maybe he's a Noah Fant clone, which wouldn't be a bad thing considering everything we know about Noah Fant at this point. They've got a pretty good – if you could add Hickman to the crop of tight ends they have, I mean, it's just on paper at this point. But that's a a formidable-looking cast – and there's guys that we just never talk about. Like, we don't talk about Katarian Legrone. Right. And um, I think that Austin Allen is well-positioned to be a really good piece for them in the red zone with his height. And, uh, you know, you can utilize him some different ways. You could split him out because mm-hmm. he's done that in his career. And he won't feel completely fish out of water by doing it. So, um, I yeah, I mean, I think Chris Hickman could be a very, very interesting player for Nebraska and – like I said, it, it looks a lot better, you know, on this side of the week than it did going into the week. The unanswerable question, I guess, is let's say Urban Meyer is booted out of there, and it's still Ohio State, but I don't I don't know. There's some are there some other interesting targets there that you could see Nebraska coming more into play with? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're involved with a lot of players. I don't know specifically. I haven't looked through the list yeah. a whole lot. And some of it is, we, we always talk about this. It's, you know, initially it was, oh, Zach Smith is gone. Maybe this will help Nebraska with wide receivers like Jamison Williams or other people. And it's like, yeah, that could be true. Or maybe they turn around and hire a, <laughs> a significantly better wide receivers coach. Which they and will. And all of a sudden <laughs> it's, you know, a bigger issue. Because they have someone who's legitimate uh, as that position coach. So it's, um, you know, if Urban Meyer goes, but then Gary Patterson is their new head coach Which we in December. Which we probably yeah, going to happen. Exactly. We've made that decision. <laughs> then I don't think, like, the drop-off will be too big. It, does that kind of... It's a different sort yeah. of, I mean, Gary Patterson... They're, they're just a monster. They're, they're yeah. going to be a monster, and it's just a matter of who gets to sit in the catbird seat. To, to run the monster. I just want, unless it's somebody that, not to go back to the first topic, but unless it's somebody that's just kind of a first-time guy, which I can't see Ohio State taking that big a gamble. Yeah. And even, you know, Ryan Day, like, I mean, I think you have to kind of go 11-1 and one and win the Big Ten. He's got to, I would have to think he has to get him to a playoff. 
Really? Don't you think? Even if they won the Big Ten, but they don't get into the playoff because there's only four teams and the SEC gets to have two because it's contractually obligated that they're playing in the toughest conference in the history of football, so they get to have two. Some yeah. of that was just ad-libbed. Yeah, yeah, that's not all factual, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's some opinion in there. Oh, well, it'll be something if next year when we're in Chicago... Ryan Day is introduced as the Ohio State coach. Real question here. Can you... Do you know anything about Ryan Day? No. But... You can't tell me one fact about him? No. But this weird stuff... Think about... There was an example in West Virginia when Rich Rod decided to go to Michigan. Bill Stewart got the boys up for a game against Oklahoma, right? In the Fiesta Bowl or something. They win the game. They look great because he's got, like, Noel Devine and these awesome guys. And then Bill Stewart, for whatever reason, West Virginia's like, let's put all our money on Bill Stewart, who seemed like kind of a joy to cover. Like, I kind of liked him from a distance. He but... was likened to being the Fred Rogers of, uh, or the Mr. Rogers of football, yeah. of college football. And there's a whole situation he had with Dana Holgerson, which was kind of fascinating. People can Google. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, like, at each other's throats yeah. and stuff. But anyway. I didn't think we'd veer into West Virginia football. Well, we hit the 51-minute mark, <laughs> and we are all over the place. Here's your Ryan Day fact, and then we're out. Okay. He played quarterback for Chip Kelly. He set uh, efficiency and touchdown records at New Hampshire. I did not know that. So that is what you now know about Ryan Day. <laughs> and anybody else that didn't know anything about Ryan Day on the podcast. But one last time. If this runs before the end of the promotion, be sure to check that out on the website. If it doesn't, you can still sign up. You're just not saving yourself enough money. There's a ton of great stuff. I mean, I've got plenty of recruiting stuff. I've got a Ty Robinson story that I will run at some point. I keep talking about it. Yeah, I haven't you ran it yet. texted me. You said you were going to run it. I, and I haven't. I know. Thank you. <laughs> um, that will get up there. I've got some good recruiting stuff that I think people will like as well. We're going to have plenty of content doesn't end when the promotion ends all of august is coming all of the practice reports next week all of the exciting quarterback and center and wide receiver and running back battles to be discussed there'll be interviews with mario verduzco you know that's worth the price of admission right there so all of that's going to be on the site some of it free some of it vip why don't you let yourself see everything be sure to sign up today at nebraska 24 7